We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. Greetings and welcome to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical analysis of the news cycle, the people that make it, and occasionally ourselves. I am Camille Foster, and I, I'm delighted to be here. It has been a it's been a long week already. And Holy it's cow! Only fucking Wednesday. Uh, I'm here with Matt Welch, Michael Moynihan. It feels like we were just here doing this because we were mm-hmm. uh, mostly. Yeah. We did Megyn Kelly's uh, show yesterday all together here in New York, um, and we are all in the same state. Although Moynihan had to venture out to I don't feel, I don't feel to good. one of his compounds there, <laughs> I uh, feel better. I think life. most yeah. of the people who were in this apartment last yeah. night. Well, we we tied we tied one on last night because last night was the 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 fire gala, and this was. I don't know how many galas fire has had. I know fire is celebrating its 25th uh, year of existence next year. Um, But this year was the first gala that they've hosted since 2019. So pre pandemic, but it was also the first gala that they've hosted since they expanded their mandate to essentially. And I, I know that folks who work for fire don't talk this way. I'm on the board, but I'll say this in my unofficial capacity is just Camille, just a nice guy. Um, fire is occupying the space, and Moynihan is also watching the Bruins game. Which is why Not the occasionally, fucking like Panthers just scored. Sorry, and stuff. Sorry. yeah, <laughs> he'll, he'll curse. I'm also I'm monitoring the Lakers losing to the Memphis Grizzlies. <laughs> like they're just self sabotage because John Morant is not even playing. Um, he's not also not at the strip club with waving guns around. He just he hurt his hand, <laughs> so he's not playing. And LeBron is finding a way to lose this game. It's very odd to still root for LeBron despite the fact that he's like this sycophant who pretends to read books and who sucks up to the CCP, but I still want him to succeed. I think you have a really complicated relationship with a a masochist. It's weird, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It's the thing. You you don't have any of these problems if you watch hockey. Yeah. No, but it's like, there's just dumb Canadians and guys from like the (laughs) Czech Republic. They don't have any politics. That's not true. But they're yeah, all they're, like covered in those rainbow plaid flags. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're but they're, no, there's but always wrong with that. Like, it's fine. It's fine. No, no it's, it's actually like, a good thing. It's necessary. They should do that. It, Don't they do land acknowledgments before every game now in the NHL? Isn't that the thing? Is that not a thing, Moynihan? I'm sorry, I just lost you for some reason. <laughs> um, whatever you said, I'm sure it is definitely a thing. But no, they but the rain the the, <laughs> the rainbow thing. Um, uh-huh was you know it's funny because it's just like there's so many russians and they're all like russian orthodox and like no and they actually we don't the play gays. for yeah. we don't play for gays we play for the <laughs> russians <laughs> only russians no for the gays and like in the the president of the nhl was like yeah we're actually gonna stop doing this like literally they stopped doing it <laughs> is that right like last week yeah yeah they, they pulled they're like okay fine there's no reason that hockey should be talking about like gay rights. It That's just wild. Really? Why, Seriously? Why are we doing this? It just was there, and, and was there major news about this? They were doing trans stuff too. Yeah. Was that? There was there major yeah. news about this? I didn't hear anything about it. I, I, well, you know, major for the NHL, I guess. I mean, yeah. people don't pay attention to the NHL very much. Um, but there was a but, fairly uh, big but, story about their new um, hire who was running diversity, equity, inclusion for the, for the NHL. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they don't, I don't know why you need that in the NHL. Well. Because <laughs> it's like, what, what is the, diver- like, you just need good hockey players. Yeah. Like, I don't need diverse hockey players. I just need good hockey players. Yeah. That's about it. So, yeah. And, like, literally everybody on the ice, like, the Bruins goalie is Swedish. And then 
everyone else is is like Eastern European. There's like a couple of Finns here and there, but that's. Yeah. I mean, the diversity in the NHL is like how how many Scandinavians and how many like Nordic people do you have and how many Eastern Europeans? Well, this is, it. yeah. I mean, I'm sure we've talked about this before, probably when we had like Ethan on uh, for one of the podcasts, but ultimately the last bastion of meritocracy in America, that is something that no one is actually going to criticize openly is professional sports. Yeah. Like yeah. you, that's, that's where you go. Well, until professional sports starts getting into having trans athletes compete against women, uh, like oh well, that's dudes. happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. when it becomes in in the professional, in like women's UFC and women's sports. boxing, and it's it's working out great as I understand it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's working out. I already couldn't watch UFC like because I'm too I'm too squeamish. Like I can't watch two Human men cockfighting brutalize one another. Said, yeah, mm-hmm. I can't watch uh, women's UFC at all. Like and I already kind of couldn't, but I like really can't now. Even when they're hot, I, it, perhaps they're, especially then. Like people brutalizing one another, it's just too much for me. But common, I was talking not, about the fire thing, that. wasn't I? We we <laughs> got off not, on a tangent. Yeah, no, but I just want to point out that it's not common <laughs> that there's like two super hot girls fighting each other in UFC. Yeah. It's just not <laughs> normal that happens. Yeah, I don't follow closely enough. I don't know where I was in the fire story, but but I should say right now. This is going to be a disheveled mess. Yeah, this, I'm, yeah. I haven't slept much. And last yeah. night I had to be Ultra Camille to MC the Fire Gala. Um, and you were the uh, libertarian James Bond last night. Yeah, that yeah. You look great, great I was man. There. Thank you very much. I appreciate you that. Very good. My, my tuxedo that I managed to find two weeks before the event, my bow tie that I, that I actually managed to tie. And I will tell that those, those damn things, the studs that you put in the tuxedo shirt to close it up. Those bastards can be very difficult yeah. to actually navigate. You got to get them in those hard. hands. Yeah. yeah. And I have if to you dress myself. Know how crappy and ridiculous and pointless this recording is going to be. <laughs> I do, I do want to point out that I did sleep a few hours last night exactly where you guys are sitting. Yeah. I slept right there. Yep. That's literally where I slept last night. Yeah. At this like is, 4.30 this is the in the morning. the episode. Yeah. Oh my God. I, I, I got up at like nine, but I was like, I went to bed at 4.30 and I just, you know, Nancy said to me, she's like, you know, when you're listening to music and I have like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And this morning I was like, wait, what was that? And I looked at my phone and I was looking at the songs that were playing last night. I was like, oh my God, did I put this shit on last night? Oh my God. I I have no recollection. And the problem is, and I talked to um, somebody today about this and said, how are you feeling? And I said, oh, and, and the question was, why, why do you always feel, what is going on? And I'm like, well, in situations like this, particularly in a crowd like that, because there's yeah. a lot of Fifth Column listeners. Yeah. A lot. Like a, like a, a whole bunch. I mean, they're, they're, we have lots of positive things to say about the crowd we, beyond that. As well. Wonderful. Yeah. I mean, lots of wonderful people uh, from all over the spectrum. Yeah. And, you know, all sorts of uh, interesting people. Like genuinely the diverse. Is, yeah. The, when you eat, you're supposed to eat, which helps soak up the booze. That's a medical thing. I'll tell you about it later. <laughs> but um, I don't eat because I end up just talking to people. Yeah, because people were like coming over and saying, "Hey, what's and and then and then the next thing you know, someone's taking your plate, and I'm like, "Whoa, motherfucker, relax!" Give me <laughs> and they're like, nah. "And at one point, I, this is a true story. At one point, the woman came over again, and I was like, "You know what? I'm just gonna give up because you're not giving up. You're gonna take my fucking plate. Just take my plate." This is a true story, people. True story. Uh, this and definitely then, happened. And then I um instead was like, "All right, screw it," and went over to the bar and um um that first. <laughs> 
<laughs> got a drink for somebody I didn't know. And then that person went off and was talking to somebody else. And then I just drank the drink. Yeah. That I, but I got one for myself and for that person. And then I was yeah. like, I'm just going to drink this one. And then he came back and I was like, I, I'll get you another one. <laughs> okay, hold on. <laughs> well, let, let, me, let me try to firmly take the stick and finish the thought I, was, I started yeah. before we talked about UFC and all the other stuff. Yeah. Fire is ex- expanded its mandate and went from being the foundation for individual rights and education to being the foundation for individual rights and expression and yeah. is in a very real sense although this is not formally the case like kind of moving into a space that has been vacated by some other prominent national civil liberties organizations some of which are you know kind of storied histories and perhaps have names that involve Letters, maybe several of them. Rhymes with the ACLU. <laughs> yeah. It probably does rhyme with that. Um, but FIRE is doing that work now. Um, and I think is already kind of off to this really extraordinary start, has been able to to kind of galvanize a, a base of supporters, has been able to grow its membership in ways that are really remarkable. And last night hosted a gala, as various nonprofit organizations do, um, both in order to raise money, but also I think to just kind of mark this milestone it's a um, and it's, it's a dick swing it, and it was a can really be. brilliant event i go to a lot of these events for a bunch of different organizations i've certainly been to things for reason before and heritage and cato and i've probably been to something for brookings and some other places in the past and i will tell you that most of them are fine some of them are absolutely terrible and boring the speeches you know exactly what you're going to get but last night was special and the people who were in the audience were special and if you'd been in the room to hear um, not just my several cameos as MC for the event, which were phenomenal as I understand it, uh, <laughs> yeah. but but killer killer Mike, killer Mike oh, Render, man. who if you don't know, I mean Mike has this history in hip hop. He he's been making music since um, well on like sort of the national stage. I think his. His feature on that Outcast album on a song yeah. called "The Whole World" was That's like right. in two thousand one, and it was he early has two thousands for sure. Yeah, yeah, he has this standout feature on yeah. that album that is just so fucking good. And I can't remember the first time I heard it or where, but when you hear it, you hear Mike's voice, and Mike's yeah. voice has always been. And this is interesting for someone who's been in the game for twenty odd years. It's kind of been consistently, reliably him. Other artists have to switch up their styles and change up their flow to kind of evolve with the times. He, Mike is Mike. He shows up and he does his, his distinct, unique thing. He has this phenomenal voice, um, this commanding, authoritative voice that is perfect for rap music um, and a, a very unapologetic um, style that is quite aggressive. Um, yeah, and sure. if, you, if you know hip hop and you, you kind of know that there are some foul language there, but he gave this, and we maybe talk a little bit about that later, but he gave this incredible speech. That um, was a barn burner. That about was about free expression. Um, yeah. And it was great. And I, me and Mike, if we were to sit down and talk about politics as we have in the past, cause he was on the independent several times while we were doing that show, which is tells you a lot, like a guy who is not a Republican by any stretch of the imagination or conservative, um, not even a libertarian. He no. has some civil libertarian instincts was happy to come into the building um, on at least one occasion, but definitely joined us by remote a few times and talked to us. He talked to us um, during like the epoch of like Ferguson and a bunch of other stuff and yep. just had these 
prescient, thoughtful, penetrating insights and was moderate where necessary. Um, but just this, this thoughtful voice that helped navigate that complicated situation, I think, for a number of people. And he spoke about free speech with this incredible clarity. Um, and I was probably, I was caught up in the moment for sure, but I was also running around doing stuff. And it was his birthday is tomorrow, 420, appropriately huh. enough. Um, so I wasn't really thinking. So I'd be interested to know what you, you gentlemen, what your thoughts were on the speech, how much you remember of it. Because I know he talked about Frederick Douglass and a bunch of other stuff. And there was some motherfuckers and some niggas in there. And, oh, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was. <laughs> which was which quick, I, yeah. I don't know that it shocked the crowd at all, but it was certainly, you know, it's a free speech crowd, a free yeah. speech yeah. room. Um, I will say uh, I, I told them to uh, to play one of his songs when he comes up. And it was uh, Kill Jill, which is actually one of my like favorite uh, Killer Mike tracks. I'll, I'll play it in a little bit. It's a feature. It's a big boy song. Um, but uh, he, um, but then I had to tell him not to do it, or at least if you're gonna do it, like use the censored version. And they ended up not doing it at don't, all. Don't play the censored version. Yeah, the fire. If, <laughs> yeah, don't fire. Probably can't version. do that. Yeah, right? No, that would be bad. <laughs> but I told you guys like why that's the case. I mean, it's. It's a, you know, but anyways, let's talk about the speech and I don't know if we'll talk about the, the actual lyrics. Well, the thing about the fire evening and I, I was there and we were all there and we, and as you said, we've, you know, each of us have been to a dozen, at least of these things, maybe a couple of dozen, mm -hmm. including in that room at Cipriani's, which is an incredible, uh, you know, weird little mini chain of gigantic former banks that are turned into event spaces, yeah. restaurants. Like right across from Grand Central. Just mm -hmm. a stunning space. You don't go there to play small ball. You go there yeah. to announce yourself. I've yeah. probably been there for the Manhattan Institute a couple of times. It was so great to go to a place like that in a kind of format that you've experienced before, but it's really the good guys. It's the good guys doing the work that people like us and in our broader universe have been uh, uh, agitating for and lamenting that there aren't people there uh, who once were who were doing that work and everything about the night hit those notes i mean nadine strassen former aclu she was great director yeah. uh gave a great little talk um where she was introducing various people who've been helped by fires litigation efforts uh Ilya soman uh was there uh, killer and camille was great as you can imagine uh and uh and killer mike's speech was the best speech i've ever seen at one of these things by without like, a doubt a factor of a lot. Yeah. Um, it was, mm -hmm. it was actually had some things in common with Chappelle in the way that it was structured and had kind of callbacks mm -hmm. and like personal history here and funny aside here. He even had the towel guy come give him a towel so he could wipe <laughs> out the sweat while he was going. Yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't Brown. performative. That was no, necessary. Yeah. That was absolutely, he, was he worked up a sweat. What I was hoping for was that they get like more stay in the time kind of stuff and, like, <laughs> and like a curtain. Yeah, you, you got to push him away. No, no, I'm not done. I'm not done. <laughs> uh, it was fantastic. But the, <laughs> The notes that were hit that was so great uh, yeah. and that was reflected- that guy's name was Bear. Was reflected <laughs> in the crowd was that it was exactly like issue-oriented, transpartisan. Yes. And and this is something that, that I, you know, was noticeable about Mike from the first time that I met him on the, on the Independence. Uh, genuinely tolerant of people who come from different circumstances and have different ideas about those circumstances. Yes. Which is a point that he made uh, several times. The fun, that was the heart of the the speech. Like free speech is about ensuring that people whose ideas you hate 
have the right to say what they want to say. So you can know who you shut down. So you can know who your enemies are, as he put it, which that, is that too, which is okay. absolutely great. <laughs> um, there, there's something uh, really powerful about that. But to be in that situation, and uh, you know, I was sitting next to David, not my boss, uh, president of the Reason Foundation. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been to a thousand. Th- you were just bad mouthing him. You were saying so many terrible things about him. Total lie. Yeah. You said I, he should be fired immediately. Hundred percent lie, yeah. as you know. And Camille's <laughs> bad at sarcasm. <laughs> David's I a like listener it. to this podcast. I like you, David. I'm a man. Uh, I'm not talking out of school. And David <laughs> said that was you know just really a fantastic event. Everyone there yeah. said it was. And like everyone went to every single person at fire. And it's precisely because they went for it. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, you use that space to like announce yourself, but they went for it. Everyone had been saying to fire for so many years, like, wow, I love what you do with education. Mm-hmm. It's a shame that no one does this with the big speech thing anymore. And it's one of the first things I said to Greg when I met him before I joined the board a year ago. Yeah. And for them to go for it mm-hmm. and then to raise a target of $75 million and they've raised, he said, $45 million already in three years to do this. Um, it is, it's, it's genuinely moving actually. And there's a, there's a weird parallel and maybe you guys think I'm crazy or hungover, um, but <laughs> I know you're hungover. There's, I'm actually not, I got some sleep, but, uh, uh, there's a, a, a smaller, uh, scale parallel uh, with Substack in a way. Because mm. also in a similar way, Fire is always getting, and you mentioned this before, I think, and you mentioned it last night, Camille, Fire is always trying to get uh, mau-maued by people in the culture war as saying, oh, they're really secretly on this side. Of it. Not not trying to get, but they do get. They yes. do get it, but yeah. like, but it's unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. And just the way that Substack, Substack was a target of at least three or four minutes hate on a few times oh, yeah. in the media wars because they were basically, you know, the Elon Musk of newsletters, <laughs> right? Because they were like going for the outrage bros and, uh, and they, they, it was going to sort of uh, unleash uh, a cesspool, which doesn't make any sense, but you know what I mean. Um, and Substack <laughs> has so. has come through out that on the other side, where like basically everyone wants to join now. They don't talk about how Substack is ruining everything, and to see people who go in it for the right reasons and are actually committed to free speech mm-hmm. and make a go out of it and do really good work and talk the whole while and really embody. No, we really don't have uh, a uh, a dog in the hunt of the culture war. Um, is it's so rewarding? I, I really felt like genuinely uplifted last night, at least until fifteen of us came back here and, uh, <laughs> and people started playing "Over the Hills and Far Away" on the guitar. <laughs> that's, that's not what I was there for. But, um, <laughs> I was I was trying to get away from it. That's yeah, I think that, why I, I started drinking <laughs> more than I should have. When you weren't offering commentary on the, the various attractive women at the uh, at the event and their beautiful I mean, gowns, I didn't. There were a few yeah. that I talked to. That this was is, nice. Yeah. I love free speech. <laughs> I love free speech when it's, you know, when it's from people I don't like and from people I think are hot. I, these are, these Who are, are wearing really nice ball gowns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad fire. ACLU is a bunch of gremlins, like, you know, hobbling in. Everyone's got one big shoe on and a droopy eye. Not fire. That's where the sexy free speech is. Um, no, I thought it was an unbelievable speech, and um, you're absolutely right, Matt. I mean, it, it is funny with the Substack thing, and it, it used to happen to Fire too. And I and I would always point it out, you know, before that E in education became expression, they were doing mostly stuff on campus because it was Harvey Silverglade, the uh, who's there, and yeah. is a very old guy and just a real hero. Um, yeah. and got the 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 you know kind of standing ovation that he deserved. And uh, uh, it was Alan Charles Coors uh, who started with him at Penn, 
back in the 90s when they wrote a book called The Shadow University, which is a very, very good book and a classic of the, of the era. And actually had a pretty big Im- impact on me because I was mm-hmm. dealing with a lot of that stuff on campus, just, you know, observationally, not, I wasn't getting into the, the scrapes that so many other people were getting into. But yeah, it, it, the Substack thing is really interesting. And it's a good parallel because the same thing happened to fire is like, I would point out to people like, you know, that there's a Palestinian group say, and there's actually a million of these examples that is on campus and they want to bring some kind of radical Palestinian activist. And then like at the Hillel house, we'll say, no, try to shut it down and fire will step in and do something about that. Um, they're doing something right now because the E has gone from education to expression about um, drag shows in Texas. Mm-hmm. Hey, lefty guys, this is for you. And there's nothing that actually is for you. It's just for free speech. And that right. hits everybody. The problem is when it's just on campus, there is a campus culture that's dominated by one political ideology. We know sure. that. That's not, sure. uh, that's not surprising. I mean, like departments are like literally 95% of people are registered Democrats and then 3% are registered members of the Working Families Party. <laughs> so yeah. it's not even like there's 5% Republicans or something. So they end up just defending those cases more just because of how the numbers are. Now, when you broaden it, you're going to get a lot more cases that are of the variety of the drag shows and uh, things like that. And you're going to see exactly what people don't expect is that they are the only people out there, uh, the only real sort of big group, because the ACLU has abdicated its responsibility in this, that are, you know, like legitimately nonpartisan and they just defend the principle, period, full stop. And Mike, uh, Killer Mike just did an unbelievable job in, in, in two things. And one was just the great, he's a good, fun, funny speaker. Mm-hmm. Like he's funny. Like he's, I mean, dropping F-bombs and like, you know, <laughs> to a, I mean, I'm looking across and I see all these like, you know, uh, uh, wrinkled, uh, old white first amendment lawyers in Mike's making a, re- uh, a reference to freak Nick and like, no one's getting it. <laughs> yeah. It's like amazing. I was like, this so, so it's like the Simpsons. It works for kids and for adults. It's like, yes. it works for the whites and the, the, you know, the, uh, the rest of us who are just like a little more dialed into the culture. Shout out but to freak Nick. We was going to explain f- it. No, you not, don't you know. can, you can Google Matt. that shit. We're yeah. not going to explain it to Matt. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's I, a I, fun time to be had for all is what yeah. Nick is. But, um, but yeah, so in, in the great thing about it was, was uh, Mike telling a, a very cool like origin story about why he cared about speech and about a teacher that he had that was like, you know, you don't like it, fuck you, deal with it and debate it. Debate the concept rather than just running away from it. And, you know, when Mike is up there making references to Bernie Sanders, like his man, Bernie, who he supported quite publicly uh, on a couple of occasions, right? A couple of elections. But, you know, it's also funny that internally I know that Mike probably is happy that Bernie doesn't win because he said at one point made a joke that, you know, I, I could be up here. If you give me $125,000, I'd be up here with my white friend rapping. You know? <laughs> He's like, if you pay me enough money, I'll do it. It's like, yeah, and then Bernie will expropriate it all. It's like, you don't really want that. But I know been, you're It might have been more than the $125,000. Oh, yeah, he probably said yeah. more than that. But, uh, <laughs> it was more. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, yeah, it's, it's that speech, I presume, and Camille, I think you mentioned this before we started recording, is going to be online at some point. At um, some make point, sure you see yeah. It. Make yeah. sure you watch it because it's you really it. interesting. Yeah. And that's what everyone... And it gives you that warm glow and that great feeling because um, this it's, it's been the issue that's disappointed me most in the past kind of, you know, dozen years is to watch 
um, people that I once respected mm-hmm. say like, why would you ever defend somebody like Amy Wax, which is what we talked about on, on the show uh, recently. And again, this is uh-huh. somebody who I know almost nothing about, but I, I don't really need to know about her. That's I just right. need to know that her ideas, bad, shitty, obnoxious, offensive, need to be defended. Yeah. Uh, regardless of, of what she actually says. And I, it's such a weird thing that we're back to the kind of pre-Skokie days when people used to attack the ACLU or like, why are you defending Nazis? It's like, because those are the people you have to defend. Mm-hmm. It's you and I don't, we're not the ones that need defense. Yeah. The shitty people need defense because which, we need to defend the principle. Which feels like such a basic point. And I suspect for a lot yeah, of the people right. listening to the podcast, that is in fact something that you know deep down in your core. But it, it, it it's, imper- it's imperative that we're having conversations beyond our our circle and that we're engaging with regular folks because regular people routinely have a difficult time appreciating why it matters, like why we would bother defending these people who are irredeemable, who have obviously, objectively even retrograde ideas that are universally, for the most part, hated. Um, mm-hmm. And that's because that's where it matters. Yeah. <laughs> you protect speech yeah. where it's at its most vulnerable in hopes that you know, there won't be a guillotine that comes for you because once they have them out of the way, then there are other people who are kind of marginally offensive that you start to begin to purge. And then other people who are offending for different sorts of reasons, or perhaps there's a a medical emergency, a global health crisis, let's say, and all of a sudden things that used to be totally fine to say suddenly become Mm -hmm. potentially dangerous and hazardous, in which case there's all sorts of policing of disinformation and misinformation. It'd be bizarre if something like that were to happen and quickly change the way that we live our lives. You know, the funny thing (laughs) about that too with COVID is we had been talking about this on this very podcast for a very long time. Um, The, I mean, many, many times in the early days of this podcast, all of us being sort of mystified by this new idea that speech is violence. And right. so, yeah. you know, let's prevent violence. Let's prevent violence from happening. So it's a good thing. It's not preventing um, free speech. But it was amazing during COVID because then they got the opportunity to say, no, no, your speech You're is actually literally kill people. killing people. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to kill people if you actually keep saying these things, which, you know, might turn out to be true um, in, mm-hmm. in a lot of cases. Sure. Did turn out to be true. But the thing about the fire thing, which... I'm kind of interested in is we have these conversations and have these events in which you have a guy up there like Mike and you, um, Camille, and I'm, I don't just say this because you're uh, a dear friend is that you did a fantastic job. You did a very, very yeah, good job. Wow. I, it's like most people cannot do what you did. And that was, that was very well done. Thank you. But, I, I, mean, um, I, I, I don't know what I did. I really have no idea what happened. Well, you texted me during this after you went <laughs> off, I texted you and you, and you said exactly what happens to me every time you're like, I have no idea what I just said. And that's always the case, right? You come off like doing Bill Maher show. Like, I, did I, I don't, did I even talk during that. I don't remember. It's just a weird uh, thing. Yeah. But when, when you have a guy like Mike and you have uh Greg Lukianoff, the great Greg Lukianoff, who's who's just yes. been doing heroic work for many many years, yeah. Um, and on that political thing, is very much a Democrat and very mm-hmm. much a liberal guy. Um, you know, everyone's making the argument, and this is what you have to do, right? Is that this is why we need to um, defend free speech and free speech for people who have bad ideas, right? Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. the great thing that you have to, to kind of dig in and make this argument. Mm-hmm. The one thing I fear we're going to have to argument we're going to have to make more in the future is to try, because it used to be kind of a given, 
but it's no longer a given, is that the reason that people try to shut down speech, we have to kind of attack that idea too, because people make the argument, friends of mine, people that I know, this is so crazy. And the argument is basically, you know, we can prevent bad ideas from germinating in people's heads if we do X, Y, and Z. That is actually something we have to kind of attack more and more and more because why are you shutting down speech? Why are you doing this? Well, because we can prevent it. Well, if we have a disinformation panel, right. we can prevent the bad ideas. Yeah, yeah. If we edit, if we get Alex Jones off of YouTube, we can prevent the, the, the percolation and circulation of bad ideas. This is something that we took for granted for so long is, is just crazy, right? It's just a silly thing to believe. But this is a very common belief now. That it's okay. So maybe maybe we don't shut down Alex Jones from YouTube, but we must find another way from the for these ideas not to reach the idea, the brains and the ears of young people, impressionable young people. Yeah, yeah, who will then hear them and then believe them and then right. sign up for like Alex Jones's supplement program or something. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. yeah. But that is a weird thing that we don't talk about as much as we should, mm-hmm. which is the 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 kind of motivating idea of the censor which in the past was usually like in a Soviet way, in a Cuban way, in a Nicaraguan way, in a Pinochet way, was about control. Mm-hmm. It was about con- us controlling the narrative and making sure we're not booted out of power or something like that. How now, many- it's just people in universities, it's people at tech companies, and it's not about power as much anymore. It's about something else. How many b- journalists, mainstream journalists, do you think, well, what percentage, would be uh, happy, be in favor of finding a legal way to kick Fox News off the airwaves. Happy? You see the you, disappointment. You mean, you mean gleeful? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, most of them. I don't know about yeah. most, but I, I think- I, I think would say it, probably most. In, in mainstream establishment, national yeah. publications, I, I think it might be most. I will, I will say that I think, uh, and I can say this because I'm not really invited there much anymore, uh, <laughs> but uh, I think Fox News has contributed to some problematic journalism over the years and some tendencies within journalism and also some good things too. I will say that too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I could say that, but it's a, to me, a much bigger problem if 30% or even 15%, you guys think it's more than 50% of mainstream <laughs> journalists think like Michael just warned us not to, mm-hmm. that if only we used whatever stick was lying around to beat back this malign force, this force that's eroding democracy in front of our very eyes and paving the way towards somethingism, um, that that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. That is kind of the problem. This is why the fires of the world exist, because yeah. that censorious instinct has grown so noticeably over the last 10 years, especially, and accelerated in the Trump era, but has been going on. And it's bipartisan as well. Um, uh, you see a lot of Republicans like Ron DeSantis and other people um, uh, like trying to uh, like uh, expand the libel laws and make it easier to go after people yeah, yeah. and to punish. Donald Trump wanted to like whenever he was mad at at Saturday Night Live, he wanted to to use antitrust law mm-hmm. when he should have just like uh, appointed Lena Khan to be his uh, FTC commissioner. He could have like it wouldn't even have to threaten; it would just mm-hmm. happen naturally all by its own. But like that censorious instinct is the thing. And one of the great things about Fire, as opposed to other people. Um, uh, who have been kind of uh, tetchy about fire over the years. I'm thinking of people like uh, Ken White, uh, Popat. Um, he has always been in denial about the, who that is. Uh, about the fact he was on our show once. Oh, really? um, huh. uh, uh, 
denying that there's such a thing as the culture of free speech. Mm-hmm. Fire stands as an organization absolutely believing in its heart yeah. um, that there is a culture of free speech and that it needs to be constantly vigorously protected, expanded, explained, and defended. Um, they're right about that. Without Ken, a doubt. Yeah. Ken, Ken White was wrong. They had a debate. Those two guys did actually reason in the pages and in a uh, online thing. And I encourage people to go check it out. Um, that culture of free speech is part of why you have now uh, journalists acting as censors, which is a horrifying thing yeah. to to watch. And it's absolutely happening all around us. Y- y- and you know, it's uh, it, the interesting thing about this is, you know, we talk about presentism um, mm-hmm. a lot more than we ever did in the past. And it's particularly when it comes to, you know, uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones talking about American history or something like that. We have a, this is a kind of presentism about that. The one weird thing about presentism when it comes to free speech is the assumption that everything that has happened in the past 20 years is unique in American history and is unique usually because of media, because of things like Fox News. Mm -hmm. And so we try to find when uh, Jared Loeffner shoots Gabby Giffords. We try to find the political angle on it, even if there isn't one, and then try to find the thing that we can shut down. It's not just like guns. It's also the, the political speech thing that we can shut down to prevent this from happening. Because if, some, if there was a political assassination of somebody on the left, if somebody on the, you know, a Democrat was killed, and we found out that that person who, who you know, pulled the trigger had ever you know, tuned into Fox News or tuned into OAN or one of these goofy... Newsmax or something, we would have endless debates about stopping this hate speech, which is creating this climate uh, of hatred and and fear and violence. I'll give you a really an interesting example of where that doesn't happen. And if it happened in America, we would have a crazy conversation. A couple of days ago, really kind of not even reported, not widely reported here. There's a piece in the New York Times about it. I don't know if it was in the print edition, but I saw a small squib about it online. The prime minister of Japan was attacked with a various descriptions as either a pipe bomb, homemade pipe bomb, or a mm. smoke bomb. Some One person was injured. It did explode. The person was tackled. And the Prime Minister of Japan was not injured. This was a couple days ago. In July of last year, the Prime Minister of Japan, Shinzo Abe, was murdered uh, on the streets of Japan at a political event by a gunman who shot and killed him. Uh, the, in Japan, where there are not there's, a lot of murders. There's 12, right? gun, 12 guns and Yes, there are 12 shit. guns, and this guy had a homemade gun and killed Shinzo Abe. What, what? Now imagine a small country that does not have a media culture in any way, like the United States, does not have a Fox News, right? There's nothing like, there have been, is a political assassination of a f- very, very famous political figure in Japan, not a kind of, like transient prime minister that's in for a day. Like Shinzo Abe was very, very influential in that com- country for a very long time, you know, a nationalist, et cetera. And then an, an attempt, an attack on the, the, prime, the prime minister a few days ago. Two of those things in less than a year. Imagine if someone killed the president of the United States and then someone tried to kill the next president of the United States and it was just thwarted attack in United here we have lots of guns and where we have 330 million or 340 million people there would be like endless endless articles think pieces chin stroking segments on cable news about who has created this climate do you think the Japanese are having that conversation, trying to find the Fox News answer to why political extremists exist and have existed always in world history? 
I mean, we can, you know, uh, Caesar, we can go back pretty far of political assassinations. And we, in this modern era, try to find an angle of what is the precipitating factor, usually a media host or like a Rush Limbaugh type or a network or a magazine or blah, 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 whatever it might be. And what does one do to try to control this to prevent more violence in the future? We try to rein in publications and networks and things like that, and then this will stop it. Japan is is a small country, and it's not a very violent country compared to America. And it has had these two events. I saw that thing today, and I was like, wait, imagine if this happened here. I mean, in scaling that for the population of Japan, et cetera, it'd be a lot more bigger attacks, and more frequently, we we would be in the throes of a constitutional crisis and we'd be talking about fascism and talking about how democracy is ending and you know it's up against the ropes etc it's like the conversations we have about bad politics about violence about political violence is that we're having the wrong conversations because we're trying to find the single silver bullet in the culprit and that culprit is probably something owned by rupert murdoch and i just don't believe that's the actual cause uh quick uh, uh request to our listeners who are in japan um, especially those of you who are uh, definitely those of you who are paying subscribers. Paying subscribers can, of course, leave comments on the uh, on our website and Substack. Um, and the comments are fantastic, and they include lots of links to supplementary material and funny yeah. YouTube skits and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, those of you who are in Japan, tell us about what that reaction's been like. Been uh, be very yeah. Cu- that's curious. actually a very good very good point because you know. Um, the political culture of Japan is not something that's easily understood by somebody who doesn't speak Japanese. I don't. None of us do. Um, I've followed Japanese politics, but not ni, in a Nihao. Speak for yourself, Michael Moynihan. That's right. Did you say Nihao? Yeah. Is that Japanese? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, the only Japanese I remember is Hai Wakadimas Toranagasama. What? Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Matt Welch, do not talk that way to me. Yeah. Nihau is. is oh, I do know some. I do know some Japanese. Toyota. No. Oh. Oh, wow. <laughs> Mark that time there. What? Man, so we can... Is that not Japanese? Yeah. It is. Uh, yeah, I'm going to cut it either way. It's, like, <laughs> no, no. it's it's not even that it's racist. It's just I'm just going to cut it. Yeah, I do. It's, I do love Japan, though. I really yes. do. I spent a little time in Tokyo and and visited some other parts of of Japan, and I'm, I really do like the place. I also like anime. Um, it's funny. I, I mentioned um, during my remarks yesterday, among the few things I remember, that I have arguments on Twitter frequently uh, with people who loathe fire. And I didn't expect that when I joined the board, one of my principal contributions would be defending the organization on the internet, um, both from progressive activists who uh, believe that speech is violence, who oftentimes are accusing fire of not merely being horrible right-wing extremists, um, but also of being vehemently anti-trans. And when I'm not dealing with those people, I'm dealing with um, conservatives who I think it is fair to describe as reactionaries um, who have abandoned the notion that free expression is a principle worth defending. They des- describe themselves as post-liberal. They will th- hurl insults um, at me, which they're like newly invented insults, like crypto-woke 
um, is something I've been called, which is wow. weird. I don't even know what the fuck that is supposed to mean because I'm. It I means you're care. a woke person who owns a lot of Ethereum. Yeah, I don't actually. So, um, <laughs> but I'm crypto woke. Um, and when uh, we had Chris Rufo on the podcast, he politely then politely uh, referred to me as a naive libertarian and assured me that it wasn't like uh, it's supposed to be an insult. But I mean. At the time, I didn't like it. I don't like it now. Um, but those are the kinds of responses that we field. And it is just, it's funny to me that FIRE is, that that's what happens while FIRE at the same time is an organization that has publicly criticized Elon Musk's Twitter for removing posts um, for the trans day of vengeance from the platform. And the trans day of vengeance, I mean, these are the kinds of posts that were appearing when that shooting was happening in Atlanta, when the shooting happened in Atlanta, because there were these people who were in that forest who were concerned about, like, what did they call it? Police city? Um, Cop the training city. City, Cop city yeah. the training yeah. facility that was going to be built um, in this area that was going to require the destruction probably of some public um, lands that fo old forests were on. Um, and there was the young man who, I guess, was shooting at officers and ended up getting shot and killed. And they they were putting up these posts calling for violent reprisal attacks that they needed to respond in kind to the law enforcement officers. Um, and some of these posts were moved by Twitter. And Fire said, hey, this is a loss for free expression on the platform, which some people will not like that perspective. They will think that is a bridge too far. But again mm – -hmm defending speech at the margin, which is, is kind of what free speech advocates have always had to do. I mean, Mike yeah. talked about, um, he mentioned two live crew, uh, Luke, yeah, Luke Luther, uncle Luke. That was great. He said, Luther's um, a great free speech hero. And that's he's, true. He's a, he's a great American hero. He's a great American, which hero, is a wonderful yeah. thing to hear. Um, he, he actually, after, after two live crew had their legal dramas where they, they were being prosecuted by the state for obscenity. It, I think it was hauled off on stage. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, they they released their song "Banned in the USA," but the song that I remember when I think of Two Live Crew is "Ah, Me So Horny," which mm -hmm. had the the very racist, completely deplorable um, sample um, in it. Um, <laughs> and Matt just said something from the song. I can't say that it's horrible, um, but <laughs> um, yeah, it's it, it was a, it was a great evening. Um, and again, Fire defends these these. Trans organizations, FIRE also is willing to go after people who are um, promulgating laws to, as um, Moynihan underscored, the, the, the drag queen brunches, um, who are going after drag queen brunches, who want to ban critical race theory in different contexts. Um, and at the same time, they'll also suggest that higher education um, institutions should not have these essentially DEI pledges that the new hires have to take in order to, to have an opportunity to, to thrive at their institutions. Yeah. And fire tries to thread the needle where necessary to make arguments, to balance all of the diversity of perspectives that exist, even within the own, within the organization itself. It is not um, sort of narrowly liberal or narrowly conservative or even narrowly libertarian as much as I might like that. Um, so it's, it's, it's a great, it's, I'm very proud to be associated with the organization. Um, it is uh, a, a real pleasure to work with those people. Um, but it is also, uh, you know, to be part of the, the continuum of people throughout history who have had to advocate 
for the principle of free expression is something that I, I think a lot about. Um, I think about, you know, Elijah Lovejoy and his printing press, like buying the third one um, and having a marauding band of, uh, of uh, racists come and destroy his printing press because they were sick of him printing these horrible abolitionist tracks. Mm -hmm. um, and there is a sense in which they were right about one thing. What he was doing was very dangerous mm -hmm. to the status quo. It was okay. likely to foment violence. It was going to create unrest in the country. You were, you were undermining the, the kind of economic superstructure of the Southern economy. Like you, you're you're talking about these you're you're talking about these potential dangerous insurrections. These people who are in chains who may rebel against us and kill us. Like you're printing publications that say that this is okay. We don't like that. Mm -hmm. um, we've destroyed your printing presses twice before. We're going to do it a third time, and this time we're actually going to kill you as well. Um, mm -hmm. Like that's that is the same cause that we are fighting for. And uh, as strange as it may sound, we are fighting for the same cause and we de defend trans activists who are promoting their day of vengeance on Twitter. Um, when folks defend Luther Campbell and his right to produce um, an album called As Nasty As We Want To Be. Um, mm -hmm. and Including The Fuck Shop. Never forget The Fuck Shop. I don't know about the fuck shop. We should. We may need to talk about that a little bit more. Uh, just <laughs> one, one of the tracks. Oh, jeez. Um, I didn't can, know you can, were familiar with the album. That's can, great. Can, just one thing about you being a naive libertarian. Yeah. And I love that. You too, it, actually. It, yeah, of course. Yeah, but it's great. <laughs> it, it shows their hand. And I yeah. love when they show their hand that, obviously. Yeah, I'm naive because, because I won't trust them and put them in full control of all the things. Well, that's right, <laughs> isn't it? The naive libertarian yeah. is uh, the naive civil libertarian is probably what I should say. Uh -huh. And to amend what was said about you and presumably also me mm -hmm. but what what you know what we what one has to do in these struggles these fights is it's there's no easy way out this stuff isn't easy mm -hmm. if you don't want to win on the merits cuz it's tough then you're naive right because it's a it's a hard struggle whereas it is less naive to cut some corners and to get that victory by using state power Mm -hmm. um, I can get my victory really easy if I have somebody in control in a Victor Orban type sense who will do all the things that I want to do without me having to win the argument. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes you naive is that, no, 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 that's not good. It's like, no, no, this is a long battle, right? This is the long march through the institutions, right? <laughs> and that's what, you know, I, I think that, what was that, Antonio Gramsci that maybe said the long march through the institutions? And that was, the, you know, what the left and people that, um, you know, in the 1960s was like, they're coming, they're taking over the universities. It's like, yeah, that's kind of what happened. And it didn't end well, and it hasn't ended well, and it has ruined certain elements of education, but they won, and you weren't paying attention, and you allowed them to win. Now you have to fight and get it back. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that. You can do that. I just don't think this is the right way of doing it, to use the levers of the state to actually say, okay, we're going to win this not in the fair way, which is by persuasion and by exposing these people as the fools and the hypocrites that they are. We're just going to say, you know what? We want the Victor Orban way where we just outlaw things. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it, it's, it's a very obvious point to make. 
but sometimes one has to make very obvious points. And we've made this point a million times um, to each other about executive power and about, you know, it's going to be only us that gets to wield it and then the other guy wins and then, you know, the first day of their administration is signing 700 executive orders banning you. (laughs) And that's what you have to realize. Like, no, 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 it's dirtier, it's more exhausting, the chances of losing are much greater, but it's the way of doing this is not to say the government, and Mike, by the way, Killer Mike, was, this is why he's not a Bernie guy, and he doesn't know that he's not a Bernie guy. I should explain <laughs> to him he's not a Bernie guy. He, but he's, he literally is a Bernie guy. He he's like literally a, is a Bernie guy, but there is at one point. A, a uber Bernie guy. He's like an uber Bernie guy, but at yeah. one point he's like, don't fucking trust the government with anything. <laughs> Fuck those guys. I'm like, what do you think Bernie wants? Bernie thinks the government is is about, you know, 13% the size it should be. Yeah. It should be about, you know, 50 million more uh, people working in federal bureaucracies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think there's probably a contradiction there. But when he was really, really good about that, of just saying, like, do not put these things in the hands of the government. Right. And, you know, Bernie, of course, has become, was friendly over the years with a lot of people who um, put put their own people in prison, particularly Daniel Ortega, um, and uh, didn't love free speech so much. So probably not the greatest person to to get behind. That that section of Mike's speech was pretty great because it was really directed at his allies on the left. He says, when you win the argument, when you gain power, mm-hmm. don't you dare yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, spike the football by using government power to shut down the people that you just defeated. Yeah, Don't do that. That is absolutely, I mean, that was some of his angriest words mm-hmm. was directed at those people then. And he's right. And you're right, Michael, that's a, that's a, yeah. a flag um, that his loyalties might be more complicated than you <laughs> realize. Yeah. In, in your but life- I still like the guy. Yeah, oh, very much sure. so, very much sure. so. In, in your lifetimes- Outside of COVID, can you think of another period when there was, in the United States in particular, as kind of dramatic a sea change with respect to sensibilities about speech um, and a sort of sweeping uh, effort on the part of legislators, activists, not even necessarily to change the laws, but just in terms of the volume of the rhetoric around doing something, anything about these issues. And as I'm talking and explaining this, I'm thinking to myself, you know, COVID was, was kind of a unique moment in that way, but it's actually not true. Like there've been a few points where something about as dramatic has happened like very quickly. And I'm, I'm remembering like post nine 11 and the, the conversations then around um, national security and surveillance. Um, And, I mean, I'm sure we could think of other examples of this happening in the culture more broadly. But 9-11, post-9-11 was like the best one in one weird way. Mm-hmm. In the sense that yeah. the Civil, yeah, the civil War, yeah. World War One. Mm-hmm. you know, World War One was very bad. Um, and then the Palmer Raids. Oh, I, I said happened. in your lifetime, but, but yeah, yes. Okay, in my lifetime, <laughs> but just, it, just to go in this, <laughs> to yeah. go in the stretch of these things though. Yeah. But the, you know, those, the initial Reds, the first Red Scare and the Palmer Raids, and you know, people being arrested for selling Yiddish newspapers that opposed America's entry into yeah. a incredibly stupid and destructive and pointless war war in World War One, mm-hmm. World War Two, of course, when you have internment, uh, people being you know, it's funny because Rachel Maddow's podcast that I've talked about, and we talked about it again with 
some people were wondering uh, on the last paid episode that we did on the Zoom of mm-hmm. you know where the stuff that I've been digging into that when that's going to be and just stay tuned. I've got one thing in the queue before that, but it's incredible because you know she is defending essentially the government cracking down on Nazis because Nazis are bad and Nazis were our enemy. Yeah, Nazis were bad and were our enemy, but um, people were being put in jail at the time for, for being, um, you know, shall we say, excessively pro-German. <laughs> and, you know, this is not a surprising thing at the time. 9-11, I think, is the first time that this happens to an enormous pushback from the mainstream, from within the mainstream of journalism. We, I mean, the New York Times has a million unsigned editorials after 9-11, you know, after the Patriot Act, after Guantanamo, after all of these things, you know, extraordinary renditions, black sites, not saying it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Of course it happened. Mm-hmm. And, but the pushback was so loud yeah. that, that you really had to, the, and, the, and it actually screwed up, you know, Obama too, saying like, well, because of Congress, I actually can't down, close down Guantanamo despite the fact that I campaigned on this when he actually could have. And, you know, Glenn Greenwald was very good at the time of pointing out here are the three ways you could actually do this without, you know, this being like buck passing and kicking the can down the road. Mm-hmm. But it was the first time after 9-11 where you saw like people really pushing back against this idea of the state saying this is a unique time in American history. And it was a unique time. That's absolutely true. Yeah. And we have to take, you know, these extraordinary times <laughs> demand extraordinary measures. Whereas COVID <laughs> There's not push, there's different, it's, and again, it's not yeah. the same thing. Don't yeah. get mad and send me emails because say, this is a totally different situation. The parallel exists. It's not an exact one right. in any way. That's right. But there is this push from government. There is this push from health authorities, from, you know, the media itself saying, this is what we can say and cannot say, and you should actually have your YouTube account closed if you have quote unquote bad ideas about COVID because there's one idea and this is the correct one and this is yeah. the science. Yeah. And that included stuff as simple as the lab leak theory. Yeah. It's crazy. COVID COVID misinformation and kind of radicalization that's happening on YouTube, whether it be white supremacist radicalization or it's um ISIS Islamic radicalization that's taking place on some social media sites. Whether or not encryption is in general dangerous, oh, right. which the Clinton the administration went yeah. after, when they were they were going to have their they were going to outlaw certain kinds of in- encryption, and they were only going to allow you to use this special government standard of encryption uh, that yes. they developed for all of us. Which, in a bizarre sort of way, <laughs> it's so in, even with AI. I, I remember back when we had, um, uh, uh, gosh, you just mentioned him a second ago, um, uh, presidential right? candidate. That came on our podcast, who I sat down with. Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang. When Andrew Yang came on the podcast to talk about technology and AI, all the conversation was around automation. We weren't talking Mm -hmm. about the end of the world and gray goose scenarios. It was just automation. We're going to lose jobs. Now Mm -hmm. it's upon us, so to speak, and we're playing with MidJourney and OpenAI, ChatGPT, and all the conversations are about how devastating and diabolical all of this is. And there is a conversation essentially about censorship in many respects. Like only certain kinds of people can work on this, can write this kind of software, can work in this particular way. It's always the same kind of pattern of conversation is these generalized concern, panic and fear, the need to control and rein in. And the number of times they 
overestimate the scope of the problem um, or kind of find themselves stumbling from being people who were staunchly opposed to these kinds of tr- controls to being the sort of people who insist that we have to do it right now because this time it's different um, is just is kind of startling. And there are so to, few people who are consistent on these matters. Do you want to hear a headline that'll, that'll, I, I just, I just had to look this up because I saw it this morning and I was wondering if I was dreaming when I was trying not to vomit this morning. And it, was just, <laughs> it was this real, this is like some fever dream that I had. Uh, uh, and this is a headline from Politico and I'll read you the headline in the first sentence. Um, and it's to what you were saying about um, AI stuff. EU lawmakers, colon, we're coming for chat GPT. First sentence, <laughs> Brussels. Key lawmakers working on the EU's Artificial Intelligence Act have promised to lay down rules to rein in general purpose AI systems powering tools like chat GPT. Imagine, wouldn't you love to live in a world, and I don't know, this is when you wonder why <laughs> people aren't on our side about these things, where politicians don't see an amazing new technology and say, let's get a committee together to try to ruin it. Like, it's an amazing instinct. It's like, no, no, but the bad things haven't happened yet. Like, yes, yes, but we have to, it's kind of a Philip K. Dick pre-crime thing. We have to see, we have to anticipate how this is going to be bad and then you know, let it let us as a as a central um, uh, government body or regional government body in Brussels say um, we're going to make rules. And they tried this in the past. Uh, you know, the French particularly about. Do you remember the, the French going crazy about Google Books? Google because Books, Google Microsoft was a, before that. I mean, Microsoft. Just, they were like, but they were scanning books. Like, well, now Google's going to own all the knowledge. It's like, how fucking dumb are you people? <laughs> Honestly, like. Did anyone in you know the French Parliament anticipate archive.org, mm. uh, openlibrary.org, which mm. are not it's not Google, it's just people scanning books and putting them online for free, and it's an amazing resource. Mm-hmm. And it's not Google, and I don't use Google Books when I'm trying to find specific. I always go to Open Library. By the way, it's a great tip, people. Openlibrary.org. And you will find a scanned copy of almost any book, whereas Google gives you a little bit of a taste of something, a little, and you can't see the whole page. Whereas an open, AI, uh, uh, open library just doesn't give a shit and just puts it up there. And it's not Google. And you were wrong, France. And you guys freaked out about this. And there was a book that I referenced one time by a French scholar that I read in the early 2000s that was about how we have to... It was specifically about Google Books and about how it was the end of civilization. How dumb does that seem now? Here's a, here's a way of measuring how much things have changed. Culture, journalism, discourse has changed. After 9-11, Ari Fleischer says, I think in response to or asked to comment on Bill Maher's comment slash sort of crack about how uh, suicide bombers are more brave than American pilots you know, yeah. casting long-range bombs, <laughs> um, which is a provocative thing to say. Uh, you might say sort of silly uh, or whatever, uh, but uh, Ari Fleischer's response, I think it was to that, says Americans careful, yeah. need to be careful about what they say. That's right. Go no, back <laughs> go back and read the five trillion uh, outraged, uh, and for the most part, properly outraged if hyperbolic, uh, editorials, people saying, no, that's bad. We don't need to watch out what we say. It, they, it was a, a really big, voluminous response of revulsion uh, in the press. And this thing was referred to for years, like always going back to this, uh, this thing that Ari Fleischer said. Um, imagine Joe Biden 
getting any pushback for saying the exact same thing now. Joe yeah, Biden said good, fa- Facebook point, is yeah. killing people. Yes, that's right. Social media is killing people. Mm-hmm. Um, they went on at uh, a rampage in the summer of 2021 uh, with the uh, you know the health czar, whatever we call him, Surgeon General uh, Vivek Murthy. Uh, you know we're going to have a whole of society crackdown on disinformation because disinformation is killing people. They were singling out all kinds of uh, uh, websites and Joe Rogan and and pressuring Twitter to to deplatform or censor this person or that person. It is now mainstream accepted that we have to watch what we say and we certainly have to watch what other people are saying and make sure that they can't say it. That has gone from being something that we just immediately recognize as wrong, especially in the mouth of a government official, to something now that journalists themselves call for, believe, and wouldn't bat an eye because the president says stuff like that with some regularity. Yeah, I mean, it it is... Again, this the private company thing is often misses the point. You know, it's only the government that can that can censor people. Okay, let's let's take that <laughs> as all right. We know what you're saying. We understand. We understand what the First Amendment means. But what is often concerning is the culture of free speech and the fact that we are accepting of censorious instincts uh, if they're not uh, coming out of the mouths of somebody in the government. A good example of this, when Joe Rogan, because you just mentioned Joe Rogan, I hadn't thought of this since it actually happened. And it wasn't even that Spotify um, pays him a ton of money because he's a moneymaker. That's why they did it, right? Very simple. And people internally at that company started revolting and saying, no, you know, we have to throw these warnings on everything he says about COVID, et cetera. The thing that's actually much more pernicious than that they and it was, I think, with Rogan's agreement, um, reluctant agreement because it was part of the deal. But they eliminated from the archive a number of episodes that were with problematic people. Mm-hmm. So the Gavin McGinnis episodes, uh, founder of the Proud Boys, uh, you know, one of the founders of Vice, uh, who went a very different direction, those, uh, the, you can't get those anymore. They're not in Spotify's uh, uh, archives. There's a bunch of people like that, too. There's a whole slew of them. And some of them are like really noxious people. A couple I can think of offhand that are just really horrible, terrible, noxious people that I think became even more noxious after that. They were not always that way. But I don't really want things stricken from the record. I don't want them taken out of the archive. I want to be able to go and listen to this. If you're a historian, if you're somebody who is like, okay, I need, I'm writing a profile about one of these people, right? There's a guy named Owen Benjamin or something. He's like a comedian and he's like a racist and like, an, like an, I can't remember, but he's like a bad dude. If I want to write a profile of him and you know trace the arc of his madness, right? I want to go and listen to those. Like, what was he like then? Where, where is this breaking point for him? But you can't find them. And what is the idea behind that? Why not? Because some young child might stray into the Rogan archives from 2007 or something, listen to this three-hour broadcast, and then put on an SS armband and go, you know, (laughs) goose-stepping around Skokie. Come on now. Is that what you think is going to happen? Because if you believe that it's that simple, then you start taking books out of libraries. (laughs) You really do. Because you have to take... Mein Kampf out of the library. Mm-hmm. I mean, remember in Germany that the, the copyright of Mein Kampf is 
owned by the state of Bavaria. And so you couldn't get it in Germany um, for years. And I've mentioned this on the show before, and it was only until um, a couple of years ago when they realized that any German who decided they wanted to be inspired by the turgid dribblings of Adolf Hitler in 1923 and 24 could find that as a PDF online in German and English. It takes two seconds, right? Mm -hmm. So they put it out, but they only would put it out in a scholar's edition, which is, which is uh, annotated by various scholars, which by the way is very useful because there's really interesting scholars have interesting things to say about this stuff, but they're only doing that not to kind of expand the knowledge of this book, but to say we're going to inoculate the reader against the bad ideas by telling them that these ideas are wrong. Hmm. You know that when you read that book. Um, and if you don't know that, your problems are not going to be solved by some government-appointed historian who's clarifying things for you. I mean, when you think that the, the actual interaction with bad ideas is what creates bad people, then you have all of the material you need and all the intellectual justification to take books out of libraries. It's very simple. Or, so, or, or shows off of YouTube. I, I was, as you were talking there, I, I went and just looked on Amazon for Mein Kampf, which you can definitely get from Amazon. You can also get it yes. on Kindle for like $10, which I yes. wonder what they do with the profits from those. Um, That's a good question. You can't buy the Turner Diaries. Can't find you it. Cannot. But when, Someone, but when, our friend Yao, yeah, uh, uh, who is um, an Israeli, uh, uh -huh. who was at the uh, saw her last night. Yeah. Israeli American. At, yes, Israeli American. Um, <laughs> is she is she American citizen? Yeah, she got her citizenship not long ago. Oh, oh good. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, she's uh, lovely and and funny and bright. And and she said uh, it was hilarious. She was like, I think you're gonna, I think you'll know where to get the Turner Diaries. I was like, excuse me, because <laughs> she's like, they don't sell it on Amazon, and I'm curious <laughs> about it. In his trunk, actually. Yeah, yeah. and I was like, well, I'm not Timothy McVeigh, who was literally selling the Turner Diaries. That was the next it, thing I was gonna say. Yeah, like you you could actually buy Industrial Society and its future on Amazon. The for the six ninety nine paper Unabomber two day two day shipping. Yeah. Do you know you know that Timothy McVeigh and the Unit Bomber became um, friendly, right? I don't think I knew that they were in the same. Um, it was like Bombers Row. Um, they were in prison together, and they spoke. Yeah. Um, and when McVeigh was interviewed by Ed Bradley uh -huh. in two thousand, or a little bit maybe in, in the ninety nine or something like, but he was he was executed in two thousand one. Um, he spoke about. <laughs> They how they, they had a lot in common, uh, um, although their politics were different, and he saw the problem as technology, mm -hmm. um, and that was not McVeigh's things. They they came to the kind of the same conclusions, and he was talking about his his uh, conversations and interactions with the Unabomber. Huh. So wow. yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know why Ed Bradley in 1999 was platforming Timothy McVeigh. <laughs> <laughs> That's so wild. Expanding our knowledge about this horrible event in American history. How dare he? Yeah, that's bizarre. Yeah, if, if you believe that we're that vulnerable, yeah. um, I mean, we really are already lost. It's exactly I right. I mean, there's, there's just no hope yeah. whatsoever. You can't yeah. imagine that you can actually suppress these ideas, which suggests that they're just they're out there. I mean, and, and everyone is already... Um, in in dire straits. If you if you have the the you know Harlan Crow historical artifacts, you <laughs> must be a Nazi. If you read the book Mein Kampf, you're going to become a Nazi. Like uh, these things, all these things that are out there are just are just perverting us and, and yeah. destroying um, uh, d democracy and civil society. And that said, I mean, I, my suspicion is that that we are in fact 
quite vulnerable to a number of different kinds of peril. But with respect to that, I think the, the vulnerability oftentimes is not so much from the dangerous ideas that are floating around, but our capacity to do extraordinarily terrible things to one another in yeah. the name of ostensibly righteous causes yeah. and to not really be aware of that until we've already gone too far down the road, um, which yeah. is which is why people who are genuinely outraged by what takes place on January 6th, even if we don't imagine it's the darkest day since Pearl Harbor, also get pretty concerned when we see prosecutions that are trending in a particular sort of way that seem mm-hmm. as though there's just this kind of appetite for the destruction of the people who are seen as bad, which leads me to some news from today that is not related to the fire gala directly, although I think there are some interesting free speech parallels. But the Dominion lawsuit mm. that was supposed to happen um, shortly after we finished recording with Megan Kelly yesterday, because we talked about that for quite a bit, mm-hmm. actually. And you should go yeah. listen to it. It was an interesting conversation. Megan had a bunch of perspectives. And Megan, she really put the spurs to Matt Welch. Yeah. I mean, she just was smacking him around. Only yeah. half of it was fair. I think Beautiful she to see. Misunderstood. Yeah. yeah. Okay. She was yeah, like, that's what she, she said. said. Matt Welch. She is... said, "Do better, Matt Welch." She said, "Do better." She. Uh, it was. But I think Moynihan recommended the the shirt of Matt Welch is wrong again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah was, what did she say? <laughs> yeah. Matt. She no. She said wrong again, Matt Welch. That's yeah. Yeah. So that was great. Wrong again, Matt yeah, Welch. Yeah. She said issue Ma- two. <laughs> Matt Welch. Fred Bonds. <laughs> I loved it. I, I loved watching her work you over, Matt yeah. Welch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, the Dominion lawsuit was settled today. Not today, um, it was yesterday. Or yesterday, yeah. I forget be- what day it was. It was between it was a blur. the Megan but taping yes. and your fire uh, gala dominance. Yeah. So what was the what was the actual dollar amount? It was $787.5 million. And according to the folks at Dominion, Dominion, as they suggest, Fox has apologized and acknowledged their wrongdoing. They did not apologize. They they uh they didn't state, apologize. Their statement includes uh, an acknowledgement that they expressed things that the court ruled was were false. W- were false. They yeah. acknowledge that very and, different than yes. an explicit ex- expression of very much. Guilt and, and there's yes. and there's nothing uh, in the uh, agreement for them to have to say anything on air. They acknowledge it happened. Neil Cavuto had Howard Kurtz on. Um, of course, it'd be Neil Cavuto, Cavuto yes. who would do it because yeah. he's yeah. a man of integrity in that building. Um, but uh, they did. So there are other people of integrity in the building. Yes, well. but he's he's but one yes. that in whose name on air personalities. This is this is what Neil does. Absolutely, yeah. and and his uh, his name came up in a pejorative way through some of the uh, um, uh, discovery process comments made about him by other people, and uh, and which I thought were even if they're private com- comments that I'm reading for weird reasons are nonetheless uh, disparaging unfairly to Neil Cavuto. Anyways, um, they didn't have to say anything on air. They didn't have to say, we screwed up, sorry, or anything like that, but they did have to pay $787.5 million, uh, which is about half. They were seeking $1.6 billion in the lawsuit. Um, it is way more than the revenue, I think, that Dominion makes in a year. Um, a lot by, more, yeah. By a lot. I think they make like $100 million a and year. And wasn't it also the amount is a significant percentage of what Fox's kind of cash on hand is and their own revenue? It's a it's like a big percentage of what Fox 
um, actually clears in revenue every year. It's not a small amount. I mean, it's, cl- it's very close to a billion dollars. And um, I do want to take a victory lap because I said when we first started talking about this, we were, I think we were all in the studio together uh, when this, and I, and I said I, they're going to settle. And no one believed me. And uh, I just want to say that I was right about the settling <laughs> and you were all wrong. And I tried to kind of get to that with Megyn Kelly, but, uh, we Megan all were, was, yeah, we all were, I think we're cheering for the settlement to happen, which is very yeah. unlike the vast majority of journalistic. Oh my God. Uh, Did you see Stephen to, Colbert? No. Like started his monologue being just crying. Like, yeah. He was like, why I want the trial. Like it's like, they want the endless humiliation. Um, but Jake Tapper, you know, who, you know, I might have to start changing my opinion. I, I, we always say how much we like Jake, um, it, but he just doesn't. He did a thing where he was reading their statement and kind of mocking them and doing it. And people got mad about that. Like, I don't care about that. That's fine. Because, you know, Fox says at one point, you know, we're, we, now we can get back to doing what we do best, which is like fair and balanced and amazing journalism. And he's like laughing about it. How can they believe this stuff? Okay, people get mad about that, but I don't. But he, the thing that he did say at the beginning, this kind of preamble that no one seemed to object to, was he introduced it by saying it was, and this is the quote, one of the ugliest and most embarrassing moments in the history of journalism. No. I, that's crazy to me. I mean, we're, we're, we're kind of overdosing on hyperbole these days, but it is not the ugliest uh, or one of the ugliest moments in the history of journalism, not Fox, not modern journalism, not the past 10 years, but in the history of journalism. And I'll tell you what, they had a defense that they could make, and it was a First Amendment defense. There was a free speech defense they could make that was, that was uh, plausible in, in its way. And the Sullivan Standard's you know, difficult on this of proving actual malice, that they knew what they were saying was a lie, and they were out there saying it themselves. Or showing uh, reckless disregard. Or showing, yeah. exactly, or showing reckless disregard. But I think what this amounts to is very simple, is you have a bunch of lawyers in a room, and they're talking to Rupert, and they're talking to Lachlan, and they're talking to everybody that needs to be spoken to and who is wargaming the situation, and says, this is the amount of money that you're going to lose. Um, it's not going to be the end of the world for them, but it's a huge amount of money but think of the damage to the company and to the brand and to the future earning potential of this company when Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, Rupert Murdoch are on the stand. Yep. And that's the calculation they made, I think. That's my guess. And I think it was probably the right one. Um, I, you uh, asked the question to Megan Kelly why she thought or why, uh, in her estimation, Fox would be motivated to settle, given yeah. that given that it's pretty hard to to prove, to prove these. Yeah. Uh, and it's a civil case, so uh, but still, it's pretty hard in in America to get a defamation case in this way. And that's what she said. In fact, that um, having the having those guys, having your show horses testify, sucks for the company. It's not necessarily that it's going to produce a, a a billion dollars worth of damage, but it's a it sure is a pain. Um, and it's uh, distracting for them. It can cause things. In fact, one of the turning points in the legal filings so far and the judge ruling in several uh, motions and cases um, against Fox at various moments, one of the, the problems that Fox encountered was because of a Rupert Murdoch deposition, right? He's the one who, uh, under deposition, 
had said that um, he used the phrase endorse to say what uh, I think Sean Hannity and Maria Bartiromo, um, how they characterized the Dominion, uh, the the Trump legal team's uh, opinions about Dominion's basically that, that they endorsed it. Mm-hmm. And so that became part of the problem. So if you get the 92-year-old man uh, on the witness stand cross-examination it's not going to be a great thing. Yeah. Whatever happens is not going to be a great thing. Uh, yeah. And whatever happens to your anchors is not going to be a great thing. Um, and you're doing this at a moment, and this is a point we made uh, with Megan Kelly, you're doing this uh, uh, when there isn't at the moment a huge uh, audience backlash against Fox so far based on what has transpired. Uh, Tucker Carlson would have been the one, I think, uh, who had the greatest uh, possibility for having any kind of audience pushback because he was saying, you know, I hate Donald Trump in one of his private communications that got uh, discovered. Um, uh, but he's had Trump on the network since, and he continues to talk a lot about how the election in 2020 was uh, highly irregular and wrong. Um, so, And there doesn't seem to be any noticeable audience backlash to it. So yeah, you can cut and run. Jack Schaefer had a piece in Politico. It was pretty, you know, scabrous. Uh, and he's like, Rupert Murdoch won again. Um, because they've cut a lot of checks. They cut a check with a phone hacking scandal. They closed the news of the world. They they cut some big checks during the sexual harassment, Roger Ailes stuff. Uh, this is the fifth or sixth time, and many of them were preceded with like, this time is going to be the one to take down Fox. Mm. This won't. It's a big check, super big check. Smartmatic is, lawsuit is still out there, um, but I get why you mm. want to cut the check and do it in such a way where you don't have to you know, have a really humiliating public apology. Um, your audience is still with you and you're going into the 24 presidential campaign. The business still works. So mm. I get right the check. Well, I mean, Matt Welch, the, the way you explain that, I mean, and it sounds like you figured, you kind of figured out why they're doing this. I mean, how do we get us one of them checks? <laughs> <laughs> what, could, what could we do to get us one of those checks? That's interesting. Know. Well, I mean, we'd have to be valuable to people in a <laughs> political fight, so that doesn't really help. Yeah, well, sorry. Um, well, other things going on that we may want to discuss. Uh, we talked a little bit about this before, um, but there's been some recent developments with this story. Um, but there has been the, the drama playing out in Chicago um, over the course of the last weekend. Um, and there's still fallout from it. Um, there were these these gangs of youths um, who were marauding the streets, uh, who were assaulting random people, who were robbing stores, who were destroying property. Um, Chicago has had a, a number of problems uh, with violent crime, uh, increases in violent crime, but also just these, these massive... Um, uh, wilding episodes where groups of young people get together um, and decide that they're just going to ramsack uh, and take over entire uh, uh, swaths of the city. Um, and they completely overwhelm law enforcement and terrorize uh, the city c- citizens of Chicago. Although we've seen these scenes in LA as well recently. So the, the, the phenomena is spreading. Um, but there were a lot of really frightening uh, upsetting uh, videos that emanated from all of this. One of those videos uh, featured a woman who was trying to get into her building in a rather posh section of Chicago that is not known for uh, violent crime, certainly not scenes like this, 
but you saw a woman who was surrounded by what seemed like a group of mostly men, but it wasn't just young men. There was also a lot of young girls, some girls in there as well. And she looks terrified. And suddenly this group descends on her. There are kind of punches thrown. It looks like there's stomping action going on. And at the time, you didn't know this woman's name. You didn't know what kind of condition she was in. I, I, the first time I saw that video, I had to look away. Um, and I, I probably haven't seen the whole of that clip all the way through. Um, but I certainly didn't notice when I watched that for the first time that she was actually with someone. And I certainly didn't have any of the context for what had happened. Uh, but today um, I saw and I shared with you guys a little earlier that there was additional detail about this story. It was actually a couple that she was with. I, I, I suppose they were a couple. At least they were together. It looked like they'd been out to dinner in the area or shopping at Bloomingdale's, I think they said. Um, and they were looking for some place to eat. And they saw this big crowd of children coming down the street. And is it worth playing the audio? Is, is yeah, a little bit. Characterizing sure. it? Because I think a lot of people have seen the video and perhaps haven't seen this interview that took place um, because the, the people at Fox um, actually tracked this, this couple down. So let me play the audio. Um, well, I just recently saw the video, but we were just downtown in Chicago trying to shop, you know, trying to get some food. And we were walking down the street, and there was a really big group of, of guys, a really big group, big group of people. And girls. Yeah, guys and girls. And, you know, DJ had my hand, and he was trying to lead me through the crowd of people. And they pushed him. They pushed me. And as soon as they pushed me, I told DJ, I said, hey, you know, they, they just shoved me. And he asked them, he was like, yo, don't shove her. Who shoved her? And as soon as he said that, everything went crazy. You know, they said they're going to kill us. They turned around and, you know, started fighting, you know. So sorry I got to pushed down that. to the ground. And, yeah, I got pushed down to the ground. And the whole group of people went to DJ, not me. Like, I have a lot less injuries than he does because I was a, more of a bystander than anything. But everyone went for him, and it ended up in the middle of the street. They were jumping him in the middle of the street. It got pretty bad. It's wild to to hear the context and to watch the video while hearing the context. And and in the footage, I mean, while they're giving the interview, like she looks okay. Um, he apparently has a black eye. It's hard to tell from the, the Twitter video there. But to feel a sense of relief now watching the video, knowing that she's not yeah. dead um, yeah, or yeah, like yeah. horribly, grievously injured um, in a way that might eventually lead to, to some sort of long-term um, impairment. But it certainly seemed possible. I mean, you see a person being drug away by this crowd, and now we know that this was this young guy DJ. And they go on to describe a situation where the the mob um, stripped them of their shoes and their phone and their Apple watches and their wallets. Um, this is like just this. They they were asked um, by the person who was interviewing. I don't remember which host that was. But I'm sure we actually know. Right, we know her. I'm um, like internet. But uh, she asked, you know, did you feel like you were targeted? And they said, no. This was probably this was random. It was totally random. It was just kids, you know, being assholes. Um, I suspect that if I were to go back and watch that, that there would almost certainly be certain racial slurs that were uttered. I mean, this is a, an interracial couple. Um, and it's hard for me to believe that there wasn't some of that dynamic at play in terms of this, these kids choosing um, a, a target that they thought was 
um, sort of sufficiently vulnerable, although they had numbers and perhaps didn't care about that. But to hear so many Chicago politicians describe this stuff in these mealy mouth ways, talking about the, the, the these children, we shouldn't demonize young people, that these are these things are happening because of the sort of desperate conditions of the city and poverty. You have to, to envision this or imagine this as as you know the, the, the riots being the voice of the unheard, kind of that uh, preposterous. Uh, almost misattributed sentiment that uh, is often attributed to to Dr. King, but there's more to it when he talks about it. Um, there's something very crass about it, and it certainly seems even more crass when you know the details of a circumstance like this. Random civilians walking down the street who are violently assaulted on the street and then stripped of their valuables. Um, and in a mo- another moment, she also describes the fact, they both do, of the police driving by. Right um, there. And doing nothing. Uh, that they they saw law enforcement drive by and to have to kind of swerve to avoid the large mass of people, which on some level, I, I don't so much, I won't say that I understand it um, I, in, in the sense that it's at all okay, but I suspect that they were outnumbered. I suspect that they also couldn't know whether the person who was being beat up was just another scrum between the these vandals who in some cases we talked yesterday about someone who broke into an apple store or something was stealing electronics and then was had the mob descend on them and start to take their stuff away yeah. so you can't know whether that's yeah. happening or it's a civilian yeah that's an amazing video of the guy who stole the, but, the apple computer yeah. and um is running out of the store with it and then is robbed himself of the apple computer it's like, I mean, it is literally just like mob mania. And the the guy, the Illinois state senator that I think you were referencing, Camille, is a guy named mm-hmm. Robert Peters, who says and tweeted this, um, I would look at the behavior of young people as a political act and statement. It is a mass protest against poverty and segregation. No. No, it's not. And also, I don't know what one says to the people who live in poverty and segregation and do not rob Apple stores, beat women, steal their wallets and their Apple watches and their and, and everything and, you know, smash up their boyfriend's faces. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the people who don't do that, that are, that, you know, are good kind of church going people that, you know, don't live in the best situation? They hope their kids get out of it. They try the best for their kids to have opportunities. It is, it is casting those people out and saying that everything that you do um, is, in, in a sense, the wrong thing to do because you give them no credit. You say the expectation is that because you're in a tough economic situation that you will just beat up random strangers and you know, jump on the hoods of people's cars as a political statement. If you look at the faces of these kids, and there are a lot of them are just kids. I guarantee you that not one of them has had a political thought in their life beyond the helpful adults that tell them that they are living in a, you know, a society of, you know, unreconstructed white supremacy. And that just, I mean, if you can see if allowing somebody a justification, give it to them and they'll make a political statement. They don't realize they're making a political statement. I am doing this because of how fucked up everything is. No, you're not. That's not why you're here. That's not why you came out. 
someone gave you that excuse and you say, might as well use it. There's a person literally in government, in my own city government, my own state government, making excuses for my hideous behavior. I'm going to all of a sudden become political because I'm going to repeat what they said because it's my defense. Otherwise, I have no defense. I mean, it's an outrageous, I mean, the way that people respond to this stuff and as I said on Megyn Kelly's show, the beginning of this, you see in modern times, and you see it in Watts and the Newark riots in 65 in this stuff. But more than anything now, you see it, at, 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 for me, this, the start of it is, is the recasting of the LA riots as the, as the LA uprising. It was an uprising against the police and against poverty and against this, that, and that. And by the way, a lot of that started because of a, a, an interaction at a bodega between a Korean woman who shot a young girl um, who she mistakenly uh, believed was stealing from, from them. And it was a story that had been robbed endlessly, by the way. Um, and it wasn't just like a random uh, thing. But um, that was, that's now considered like the LA upper. I mean, it's very common in academic circles too. If you see reference to this in, in academic papers and is to just commonly refer to it as the, as the LA uh, insurrection, insurrection or, or upside. Yeah. yeah. Also, also in the media, I've got, uh, I got a, a couple of uh, individual raspberries to throw in directions of people. One um, and our, our cop listeners uh, correct me on this. I, I do think that if you are in a car uh, uh, and you're a heavily armed police officer and you see a knot of 20 kids wilding gleefully, actually, is this was part of it. They're having fun. They thought They're it was great. Fun. Having a great time, yeah. uh, beating the hell out of strangers and taking their Yeezys off. Um, uh, if you see that, I think, I think helplessness and swerving uh, out of the way and driving down the street, I don't think that's the right police response mm -hmm. from what I understand. I could be wrong about that. I could be naive. A uh, naive libertarian about uh, <laughs> about policing, but I think that you can I don't know do the thing with your lights. You you got a little about uh, stop it. You know <laughs> you, you can do I mean, things. But if you've got one cop car, you got one cop car, one pair of cops, for example, and you've got a mob of forty or fifty people. Like, what do you do at that point? You, I'd say you probably jump out of the car and try to do your job. Is it risky? Is it dangerous? At the very least, do the lights yeah. and the fog horn. Yeah, that's the, the radio in, in and you yeah. don't drive away. Yeah. Um, so they, uh, they get a little bit uh, of, of, of it. Um, the mayor of uh, elect of uh, Chicago, Brandon Johnson, Oh man, he had a just cringy media appearance that I saw. He, so his statement, oh. it wasn't in response to this particular video, but it was to mm -hmm. the, the violence in the loop that got a lot of attention. Um, his statement began with, uh, uh, not that I condone, <laughs> or I in no way condone any of what happened, uh, dot, dot, dot. However, how do you start a response to a horrible tragedy of any kind, let alone a man-made one where it was humans who did a really bad thing by saying not that I, of course you don't condone, unless you are an absolute moron, a moral midget, you don't condone it. Why would you even need to make that throat clear? That's yeah. terrible. That's a sign of someone who's not ready or willing to face the problem in the forthright weight uh, of just saying um, people need to be held responsible for their actions and not given some kind of uh, get out of, of consequences, a uh, free card of contextualization <laughs> of their social pain for fuck's sake. You have, you have to be able to look at reality and say, okay, those kids, they need to get punished. There's just no way that they don't need to get punished in some way. We can talk about what that punishment is fine. Um, but let's not, 
uh, uh, talk crazy about that. Then the other one, especially in the context of this video, um, we learned that there was a good Samaritan that helped uh, pull these young couple, the guy of which looks like and talks like he could be related to Camille. I don't uh, know what that's supposed to mean? No, he just like <laughs> fi- he physically re- resembles you, and he sort of. I, oh, they all look alike. Here it's not it, again. damn it. <laughs> Every single week, just racism. This racism. He's got Yeezys. He's wearing. He does probably, have Yeezys? Uh, so in that way, I mean, that's the most egregious thing that that happened here. They just took the man's Yeezys. Yeah, they took him. That could have been me. Those could have been my Yeezys. So there Those was a, a new pair. Actually, there was I mean, a good Samaritan who helped okay. uh, take them to, I think, the hospital. And then she was having a conversation with police. I think it was the conversation took place in the hospital. I could be wrong about that. And according to her accounting and her interview, which Camille sent to us, I haven't watched it yet, but I I saw the the kind of tweet and and the description that the police told her, Mm -hmm. well, it's not like we're going to enforce this anyways, because I mean, just look out there what the the mayor elect is saying. Yeah. Her quote is, uh, I was told by the death sergeant that this this was going to happen, that it was going to keep happening. Because Brandon Johnson got elected, that floored me, um, and she looked genuinely stunned when she mm-hmm. when she said that. And I could imagine. I mean, she and her husband to just stop on the street to pick up these this couple who must have looked shaken and been terrified um, to run them to the hospital. They probably witnessed at least some of the craziness that was taking place that evening as well, um, presumably. Um, and yeah, I mean the good. The majority of the population of Chicago is certainly not participating in this insanity, in this chaos. They are navigating it. They're trying to figure it out. Um, Some of them uh, presumably voted for Brandon Johnson, um, and their hope is that things will get better. I imagine they voted for him with that expectation, um, whether or not, you know, certainly not everyone in the city voted for him in any case, but I just... Watching him. He's not the mayor is Fringe. one is a well, point that I yet. would make. He's yeah. not the mayor. <laughs> not yet. Hey, desk sergeant. Yeah. <laughs> a, good morning. Yeah. And then B, he's not the mayor yet. Yeah. He's yeah. not your boss. Let's maybe not blame him for the thing that just happened and say that it was inevitable. I get frustration at city politicians uh, in, in Chicago and elsewhere. But one of the things that is, I don't think really um, uh, dealt with forthrightly by the Michael Schellenberger critique of the world, the guy who wrote San Francisco uh, and he's got a, a, a substack now that talks about kind of urban dysfunction issues. Um, there is a disconnect. Twitter files. Uh, and Twitter files. There's a, um, I'm sure there's some places where cops are sitting on their hands um, and that they're not being told to sit on their hands, but they're doing it at a, as a sort of political protest uh, against either the uh, local crusading DAs who have a different point of view than they do or uh, the city's governing structure. Um, and I'm sure that there are times when um, th- that is leading to worse policing outcomes on its own. Um, and that's bad. You shouldn't do that. You should come up with the best policing outcomes you can regardless of politics. And yes, you can raise a stink about it, um, but do the job that's in front of you uh, as as well as you can and don't uh, use it as a catch-all excuse. And I'm sure there's plenty of people throw that back at me and say, well, that is – Naive libertarianism as well, um, but in places where and the Chicago police force has been notoriously dysfunction for a really long time, they've also been preying on poorer communities to make money off of them. CJ Sharmala has written two or three fantastic pieces, investigative pieces for reason about that over the years. So uh, there's a lot of different directions of dysfunction on this, but uh, uh, it, it, it doesn't look like any of it is 
getting better anytime soon. And for our listeners in Chicago who are tired of hearing me or anyone else talk about um, Chicago, it, we love the city. It's a great place. And not going to say it's necessarily endemic of everything and anything. Um, but if you can't face problems in, in wherever you are, um, that's a problem. There were 37 people shot in Chicago this weekend. 11 people were killed. 11 people were murdered in Chicago this weekend. It's astonishing. 26 wounded. Um, and then you have the mayor-elect embarrassing himself, not only with his initial statement, which was ludicrous, but falling up um, and doubling down in a press conference um, of just embarrassing claptrap and babble, uh, <laughs> including the requisite bit about root causes of this violence. Um, you're not James Q. Wilson. You're not an academic. You're the fucking mayor coming in. W how long do you think it's going to take to address root causes? A, a decade? Two decades? It, you can just start doing the framework of this stuff for sure. Yes. If you have an idea of what the root cause of this stuff is, I would love to see it. And I would love to see you implement some sort of program to get the city on the right track. But your job when you come into office, you dumb fuck, is to arrest these kids, prevent this from happening again. And when people are breaking, you know, store windows, hopping on cars, terrorizing the people in there, smashing the windshields of the cars with their feet, trying to break into it, your job is not to take them on the side and be like, I know your pain. <laughs> no, that's not your job as mayor. If you want to work at a think tank and you know, think about the root causes and what we can do over the long run, that's great because that's what you're talking about now because you have no ideas of how to stop this stuff. And how to stop this stuff right now is more cops. I'm sorry, it is. Mm -hmm. You got to have more police on the street because every single one of those interactions that I saw and, the, and uh, people in the police union talking about this, people, police officers talking about this, and commentators who were there on the ground saying, there's not enough of them. They cannot stop this when there's, you know, five patrol cars and 60 kids. This, if we come out, like, to Matt's point, when he says, you know, maybe our, our police officer, uh, law enforcement listeners will tell us that, that this is a bad idea, I think that that's probably what they would tell us. And I, my guess would be, don't drive away. <laughs> you know, maybe don't get out of your car, but keep your lights on and call for backup. But what if that backup doesn't exist? Yeah. Um, you know what? I'm sorry, but I'm fucking Tom Cotton at this point. It's like <laughs> this 11 people <laughs> murdered in your city, 37 shot hmm. just this weekend in the police officers and the actual police apparatus in the city cannot handle it. Yeah, you have a major problem. You have a major problem. I mean, this it, it feels like you go, you have some sort of emergency medical situation and you're, I mean, it's a heart failure and yeah. you get to the hospital and it's like, hey, we're pretty full and we can't really yeah. help you. Also, I mean, why aren't you working out more? You're <laughs> exactly. kind of fucking fat. Cause. <laughs> like, you need to go on a diet. I mean, honestly, and, and look, it's not your fault. You've got, you got bad genes, okay? I mean, that's the reason why you're so desert. fucking fat. But, you know, we could talk to your mother and we could deal with, some, we could do some therapy and talk to you about the issues and how, how she was shamed and how you were shamed and how white supremacy is actually the real reason why you're so 
fat and out of shape and why you never fucking work out because you don't have time because you're impoverished. Oh, sorry, sir, can you hear me? Sir, yeah. sir, <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. You're just laying there. You're not yeah. fucking moving or breathing anymore. You're, this is the problem. Um, we'll, we'll have someone look at you tomorrow or something. I mean, this is absolutely insane. Like you actually yeah, you're talking to the person who's about to expire about slavery. I mean, you're like, this, you know what happens in 1860? Like, what? No, someone just broke into my house. Like, I don't want, like, I know how we got here, but I want to know how we get out of here. This is, you're, you're telling yeah. me the first bit, which is maybe interesting, but it's not it insightful. Be. It could be. Yeah. It could be. I don't know. I actually, and, and I, we talked about this yesterday as well, and I, and I really genuinely believe that like empathy is necessary we live we all live on this bizarre rock together hurtling around the sun which is hurtling around a massive a supermassive black hole at the center of the milky way we think and we're trying to figure shit out it's complicated it's hard life isn't fair people have desperate dire life circumstances all of those things are true but also if you do something horrible to your neighbors there probably ought to be consequences and maintaining a civil society like requires that sort of dynamic and one can do that while being genuinely compassionate to other people and having some understanding about the difficulties of their disparate disparate circumstances i think that's totally reasonable and i could respect the calls demands even for empathy in all things, if we were one centering the victims of violent crime and of, of 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 systematic abuses, and by systematic abuses, I mean you happen to live in a city where the political class there is more concerned about the the circumstances of criminals than they are the people who are being regularly and routinely victimized and terrorized. That's egregious and it's awful, but it's also a problem because I think that their concern is selective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they wouldn't have empathy for another class of criminal. What about white collar criminals who were bullied in school and climbed sure. the ranks despite that bullying to become Correct. the, the yeah. masters of the universe on fucking Wall Street? Mm-hmm. And because of the the pressure that Bernie Madoff suffered and the 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 need for him to perform in a particular way to win the the what the uh, the praise of his in laws or something I don't know what the fuck. He just defrauded a bunch of people. Don't we need to understand him? Don't we really need to understand? Shouldn't there be some empathy, some compassion for this man? No, actually. No, there's, there's a- there's a <laughs> Bury him under the jail. No, you have to look at someone's tax return <laughs> when you look at root causes. Yes. No one, no one wants to, the, to figure out the root causes of Jeffrey Epstein's <laughs> pedophilia. Okay. He had a lot of money. That's fine. He's a, he's a, a bad pan, guy. A Pantone chart and, an, and a CPA to, disca- to decide whether or not you can be held accountable for the crimes that you commit. The, that is look, actually the, the way this works. The people who are on Twitter, which I've seen a lot of, 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 using, of saying something very similar to this, that we have to look at root causes, right? <laughs> and by the way, it's always a dodge. I mean, after, after, after 9-11, it was like, well, what did we do to make them mad? Yeah. To blow up? And it's like, why is no one asking why I'm mad? <laughs> like, they're always asking about them being mad. What about me, that the city that I love was just destroyed the sky? Was destroyed Tell them why by, you mad, Moynihan. Yeah, Tell them yeah why it's you like, mad. Well, 
yeah, it's like it's, it's ridiculous. But these are also the people that I see online talking about this stuff and saying, "Yeah, the root causes. Why are the kids like this? What what can we do to address the underlying blah blah blah? Let's try to rehabilitate those." who are pulling people out of cars and beating them Reginald Denny-like ways almost to death are also the people who will not, will, will prevent you or try to prevent you from ever working again if you say the wrong word at the wrong time. Mm. Right, it's like it's, crazy. it's like I don't I don't it's use absolutely crazy. Yeah. You you don't you should never work in journalism yeah. because you said something on a podcast that was a bit <laughs> off, and it's like that guy just beat a woman's face into a pile of fucking mush, and they're like, yeah, but I don't know. We should probably give him a second chance. That's I just amazing. I just quoted South Park, and you want me to my child to never go to school <laughs> and not have any money or have any food on the table? Are you fucking kidding me? I can't believe they are airing Dave Chappelle's comedy specials. Yeah, this is yeah. unbelievable. It's violence. It is literal violence. No, but there's actually, violence. If it was, your if it was violence, you'd be fine with it. Yeah, actually, if it was real violence, you'd be you'd be supporting it. You'd find a way to excuse yes. it away. I mean, come on. I mean, seriously. He, t- he roughed you up. He took your shoes. He broke your fucking nose. You're not dead. You'll survive. You'll survive. We can't call the police for that. That's racist. Yeah, that's amazing. Unbelievable. <laughs> we love real violence and we're <laughs> terrified of fake violence, of non-verbal violence. That's the real killer. Not even yeah. not even verbal violence. It's, no. it's uh, microaggressions. Yeah, microaggressions. He didn't say hello to me. Getting smacked in the face <laughs> with a laptop that you just stole from a store is is a macroaggression, and I think you should probably be upset about it. Uh, yeah. All right, fuck all these people. God. Maybe we should go. It's really yeah, late. It's, it's, really it's, late. late. It, it, it's been a while, um, and I've got to catch a flight in like five hours, I think, and you won't mm-hmm. believe this. The flight was mostly sold out. Tickets were pretty expensive. Oh, no. So I used my miles to do an upgrade. And I paid for an economy class ticket. Mm-hmm. You know, the the plane is pretty full, but there was one seat, you know, in an exit row. And I said, worst case scenario, I sit right there. And, you know, maybe the seat beside me will be empty. Now the fucking plane is full. My upgrade mm-hmm. did not come through. But, Camille. I'm flying this... cross country. Oh, you're flying. Oh, 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 I thought this was a DC flight. Cross country. Wow! What, what, this is, this another... is white supremacy and racism on full mm-hmm. display. Yeah. yeah, I am so in demand that I have to take this morning flight. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I will miss my engagement on the mm-hmm. other side of the damn country, and I am going to fly coach because mm-hmm. I am not sufficiently wealthy that I can just mm-hmm. always buy first class, regardless <laughs> of the cost of the ticket at the last minute. And it is an egregious outrage, and yeah. I I will not stand for it or tolerate it any longer. I, why can't we live in an America where Camille always flies first class, regardless of the circumstances? Goddamn America! Oh, <laughs> uh, that felt good. I thought it was now the Tennessee it. three. It is now the Tennessee fall. The fall. The fourth gunman. The fourth beetle. Camille Foster. Uh, Otherwise known as Clarence. But for white yeah, supremacy, <laughs> I would have platinum status and not gold. i am not silver that is not for me i am platinum i am higher i am diamond oh yes (laughs) admiral's club every single week we should just do this because it actually feels good yeah it feels good 
You can do it, but but by the way, me doing it is yeah. worse than someone robbing a store in Chicago. <laughs> it's true. Just for the record. I mean, actually, in, in a world where we cared about violent crime, it would be the equivalent of committing a drive-by shooting and yeah. murdering several children. Yes, exactly. Yeah, but that would actually be fine, yes. provided you're the right sort of person. It's wrong, but it's not yeah. your fault. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I killed a drill rapper yesterday <laughs> because when I was a kid- my my mother would not let me watch TV right. um, when I wanted to. I yeah. couldn't watch the Scooby Doo cartoons yeah, when I wanted yeah. to. Yeah. So I it's just, also I'm, it's I'm not your fault, this and anger. and it's an act of of righteous mm -hmm. um, outrage and mm -hmm. protest. It mm -hmm. is an act of protest, which I suppose Iceberg Slim actually talked a lot about this, like he rape did. as a as a political act. Well, that was actually Soul on Ice. Um, yeah. Um, Eldridge Cleaver literally ah, right. says yeah. raping a white woman was a, was a revolutionary act. Yes. Um, in fairness to Eldridge Cleaver, he there. later yeah. uh, graced the cover of Reason Magazine sure as, did. As, <laughs> as, sure a, did. as a sort of libertarian-ish kind of Reaganite, and he renounced his previous um, political rapes. <laughs> So, so fully all that's of, what all of Bill them? Cosby should have been like. This is fucking revolution. Is what give, I'm. Give it time. You yeah. may, may come around to it. Yeah, I like to have a revolution. <laughs> oh, no. No. <laughs> well, look. I mean, we can't blame Bill Cosby. Like, no. seriously, it's not like he had a choice. No, I mean, he, he wasn't is. a real doctor. Like, because they wouldn't let him. <laughs> he had to be a fake a doctor Huxtable. He didn't so, know better. We can't yeah, expect better, better from those people. This is probably uh, the most hungover I've done a podcast in a very long time. <laughs> and uh, I just want to say I thought it was a it was a rousing success. Yeah, yeah I want to I want to apologize to to everyone for not being at, at my full um, and complete best today. Um, yeah, still, we're all about still better than, than most people, but. Um, <laughs> we we always enjoy being with you. We've got some special things coming your way, uh, thanks in large part to Moynihan, who just just recorded something super special, um, which I believe will be on the Sunday. members only this Sunday. weekend. Yeah. Members only Sunday. Yeah, yeah we will uh, be dropping. And I want I actually want to say this to everybody who will be listening, because I will um, record a little preamble as I do with these con conversations to actually explain it is, but it is our third or my third one-on-one uh, -on -one with my uh, dear old friend, John Ronson, uh, one of the greatest journalists working today and a uh, great writer, great filmmaker. He's done incredible films, uh, both like, you know, scripted stuff, uh, documentary stuff. Um, Questionable musician. And Question musician, <laughs> question uh, the the keyboardist for Frank Sidebottom, um, but he also wrote the 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 film you can see on Netflix uh, called Frank, which is a brilliant film. Um, but he also has a new podcast out, and the last one that he did, which was a, a kind of the roots of the culture war called Things Fell Apart, is a masterpiece. Um, it's phenomenal. The one he did about the porn industry called The Butterfly Effect is also a, a masterpiece. Mm. And I love that because I disagreed with some bits in it too. Um, but this new one he has a, um, is done for Audible called The Debutante. And it is about a woman who is a debutante uh, who becomes a neo-Nazi and maybe, maybe was involved in the Oklahoma City bombing or could have prevented the Oklahoma City bombing that was perpetrated by Timothy McVeigh and his, his uh, co-conspirator, Terry Nichols. Um, what I'm going to tell you, though, is I want you to listen to it before. Because we're not, this, when I talk to John, it's not an interview. 
It's essentially two friends talking. And it's two friends talking about uh, a thing that you cannot really do an interview um, with somebody about a subject as big as he's been working on this for basically 20 years. It's a lot of, it's like a rich vein of interesting material about extremism in America. And he ties it all into today, which in a really smart way that I actually agree with. And um, so what I would recommend is go listen to the podcast first, because it'll be a much better experience because it's not a linear thing that says, you know, here, no spoilers, no spoilers. It's just, this is what happened and we move all around in like just like two people sitting in a bar, basically. So I really recommend that you download the podcast. It's absolutely worth your time. It's a really phenomenal piece of work. And on Sunday, if you are a subscriber, you will get a two-hour conversation of John and I talking about all sorts of things. And it was um, probably my favorite conversation uh, with somebody in the in the in the past year, if not more, it was really really fun, and I really enjoyed it, and I appreciate John taking the time to do it. So it'll be in your feed on Sunday, if you subscribe. If you don't, you're a stupid communist. <laughs> so, but but yeah, yeah, subscribe, and and, and nobody in the Chicago legislature will make an excuse for your shitty <laughs> That's behavior. That's right. For not yeah. subscribing. If you want an indulgence, <laughs> yeah. you have to subscribe <laughs> if you want to, to buy the Fifth an Collar Podcast. Yeah. And yeah. then you'll get off scot-free. You can go yeah. to whatever These crime you want. indulgences. Who knew that the, that the melanin force field was also good for getting off for assault and theft, possibly murder? Because it's not really your fault. It's, it's white fault. supremacy's fault. Yeah. You should just you should murder someone on the way back to the hotel tonight and see what I might. happens. Yeah, I might try it out. It's not my fault. Yeah, not I your can't fault. control myself. I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> it's the white supremacy defense. Oh my god! All uh, right, bye. All right. Okay, bye bye. <laughs> we, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse. <laughs>